0: You're listening to audio from Seven Mile Road Church in Waltham, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. If you'd like to check out more of our resources or learn more about our church, please visit sevenmallwaltham.com. So as a father of five children... Uh, there's a lot of ways I could go with that this morning. But, uh, but as a father of five children, I have had the privilege of being in the room as each of my children was born. And I can tell you that each time, though it was different, it was beautiful. Uh, the moment was weighty. Uh, as a person who doesn't often cry, it brought me to tears. And it moves you unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. There's a reason it's called the miracle of life. And for each one, as they left the womb, and as they entered into the world, there's this pause. There's this waiting. There's a moment of anticipation. Do you know what that longing is for? Do you know what everyone in the room is waiting for? to hear. It's that first cry. Why? Because that first cry you know that they're breathing. So you can't if you're crying you're breathing. You can't cry without breathing. And so everyone in the room is just waiting. I want to hear that first cry. And when that first cry comes there's this exhale everyone in the room just goes, okay. He or she is breathing. And we long to hear that first cry because we know that without breath, there is no life. In his book, A Call to Prayer, J.C. Ryle wrote this, Just as the first sign of life in an infant when born into the world is the act of breathing, so the first act of men and women when they are born is praying. Now that's a beautiful picture of prayer. You know what he's done there? He's, he's connecting our prayer life to the necessity and vitality of breathing. And it really does give us a powerful image. But I don't know about you, but when I first read that quote, you know what I thought? I thought, this is me being honest with you. I thought it's a good thing I don't breathe like I pray. Because if I breathed like I pray, I would be dead. Robert Murray McShane once said, if you want to humble a Christian, just ask him or her about her prayer life. See, so immediately, it, it humbles us. Why? Well, Paul Miller, the author of A Praying Life, estimates from surveys taken at his prayer seminar. So this guy, he's a, you know, he's a leading voice in, in prayer, and he goes to these uh, different uh, communities, and he gives these prayer seminars. And one of the things he does is take a survey And he said as he's gathered this survey information, he's come to the conclusion that about 90% of evangelicals do not have a meaningful daily prayer life. And I suspect that I'm not the only person in the room who struggles with prayer. In fact, I would suspect that for many in this room, just like me, if you breathe like you pray, you would be dead too. This morning... We're looking at Romans 8, 26 to 27, and it gives us good news for those who struggle with prayer. Our text is going to break down into three movements. And first, we're going to see our problem with prayer. There's a reason why we struggle to pray. And Paul is honest and straightforward. He says, The reason we struggle to pray is that we are weak, we are weak mentally. We're weak emotionally, we're weak physically, and we are weak spiritually. And so, left to our own, our weakness paralyzes our prayers. As we'll see in the the first movement, we have a problem with prayer. Second, we'll see our partner in prayer. The astounding good news of Romans 8 is that we are not left on our own. God enters into our weakness and he helps us. And specifically, when it comes to prayer, you are never alone. Romans 8 has good news for the paralyzed in prayer, that you are never alone. God, the Holy Spirit, helps us. And number three, our third movement, is we see a provision for prayer. Our provision for prayer. So the Spirit, who comes to be our partner in prayer, also brings a certain kind of provision for prayer. He takes our weakness and he transforms it. He takes our imperfect prayers and perfects them. And takes them directly to God the Father on our behalf. So we're going to see our problem with prayer, our partner in prayer, and our provision in prayer. So let's begin in verse 26 to see our problem with prayer. Here again the word of the Lord. Likewise, Paul says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. That first word that we come to, likewise, it's making a connection. It's a transition word. He's, he's moving on from his last subject and he's connecting it to something. Likewise is a connecting kind of word. And, and, and so Paul is looking back to verses 16 and 17 where he was talking about the ministry of the Spirit. For our help, let's remember what he said. He said in verse 16, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. In order that we might also be glorified with him. So what he's saying is the spirit of the living God who dwells in us is frequently and personally reminding believers that we are children of God awaiting an inheritance with a trajectory towards glory. If you are in Christ... The Spirit of the living God is frequently reminding you that of your adoption in Christ, that you are a son and daughter of God, and that you have a super bright future. And yet, though your trajectory ends in glory, that road to glory is paved with suffering. It's paved with suffering. To, see, to share with Christ and His glory means we must also share with him in his sufferings. You can just think about it. Though, you are, though the, 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 the end of the road for you is glory, the, the pavers are paved with suffering. We see in verses 18 to 25, Paul tells us that the, our present suffering does not compare to future glory. I want you to imagine uh, one of those old-fashioned balance scales. You know what I'm talking about? That's how they used to weigh things. You know, today, you go to the supermarket, they put it on this little thing. It doesn't even look like a scale, but it's a digital scale, and it weighs how much the produce is, and then it comes up with a price. In the old days, it was a big scale, and you'd put the thing you want to weigh on one side, and then you have these little weights that would, you'd put on there, and then you would, you'd get it to center, and that's how you know how much that thing weighed. And I want you to imagine that, that Paul is saying, listen, if you put the weight of glory on one side... And then you put all of your sufferings on the other side. They don't compare. There's a weight of glory that far outweighs the weight of your suffering. Now listen, that's important. Paul is not trying to trivialize your suffering. He's not saying when it hurts, it doesn't really hurt. That, that, that's, that, that's a different kind of philosophy, Okay, What he's saying is your suffering is real and it really hurts. It just doesn't outweigh the weight of glory. That when you obtain that weight of glory, you will look back on your present sufferings and go, Paul was right. The weight of glory outweighs suffering. Suffering is painful. It's difficult to endure. But Paul wants to give us Perspective. And tell us that your present suffering does not outweigh uh, glory. And to help us understand this, he gave us an illustration of childbirth. And he was like, listen, just like every mom knows that labor is incredibly painful, that the pain of that does not outweigh the glory of holding your baby for the first time. But there's never been a mom, after going through the the, the pains of labor and holding their child, say, "I, I wish I could undo all that. No, when you're holding your child, you go, it was worth it. It was worth all the pain for this moment of glory and all our frustrated longings and all of our cruciform suffering. Not only do we need to be frequently reminded of our adoption as sons and daughters, we need the spirit to come help us in our weakness. And that's where Paul goes next. And so what we're looking at now is Paul's connecting it back to this last section. And he's saying another ministry of the Spirit is to come alongside us in prayer. And Paul says the reason that you and I struggle with prayer is that we are weak. Now listen, this world is not going to love you enough to tell you the truth. This world is not going to tell you that you are weak. In fact, everything about our world tells you that you aren't weak. That, that, that any, any notion of weakness is false because you are really strong in and of yourself. This is the gospel according to Peloton. And listen, I'm, I'm, I bought one, okay? I have one in my basement, so I'm, so I'm participating in, in it as well. But what I'm telling you is when I go down to the basement and hear what they're saying on these videos, it is anti-gospel. If you uh, scroll through Instagram, and listen, I'm not a hater of social media. I'm just telling you this is, what, this is, the, this is the truth that they're trying to sell you. They're going to tell you that you are strong and brave and that you can accomplish anything and that weakness is a lie. What you need to do is look inside and claim that inner strength that's already latent in you. And then start declaring your truth into the world. And if there's anyone who comes along and says, actually, you're not strong in and of yourself, that person is toxic, right? And they should be canceled. They need to be blocked. I'm just saying, if Paul were alive today, that brother would have been canceled a long time ago, right? Because Paul, he speaks truth. And it's not always the news we want to hear, but it's truth. We need to hear that this morning. The gospel is not that God saves the strong, but that God saves the weak, like you and me. God doesn't help those who help themselves. He precisely helps those who can't help themselves. See, the barrier to the gospel is believing, I don't need help when you start saying, I don't need any help, I can do this on my own, well, that puts up a barrier to the gospel. The gospel starts to take hold and shape of your life precisely the moment you say, I can't do it. I cannot help myself. I cannot save myself. So what is our weakness? Well, in the older translations, they translate this word as infirmity. And they're both great translations. I just love the word picture of infirmity. It means we're sick. One of the best ways to teach children about sin, because they inherently know what it means to be sick, is sin makes us sick. We are sick with sin. So not only has sin corrupted our desires, but sin breaks everything about us. That's why Paul says we don't know how to pray as we ought. See, if we didn't have sin... We'd know how to pray as we should. But because of sin, we don't pray as we ought to. So because of sin, let me just draw some of these out. We are weak mentally. Sin affects your mind. You don't think clearly. So you don't, uh, sometimes you don't even know what to pray. But our weakness doesn't stop there. And we know from experience that we're, we're weak emotionally. Sometimes we simply don't feel like it. And I don't feel like praying. So we don't. We're also weak physically. Sometimes we're too tired and are unable to pray. We're weak spiritually. Sometimes we don't rightly assess our desperation and our need for it. So we're spiritually prideful. When it comes to prayer, we're ignorant. We don't know how to pray we're inarticulate. We don't have the words to pray. We're indecisive. We don't know what to pray for. Our prayers are often imperfect, praying for the wrong things at the wrong time, for the wrong reasons. We're also insolent, which is like a rudeness and an arrogance that we demand to have our desires fulfilled. We get frustrated when God doesn't answer our prayers according to our will. We're impatient. We don't just want answers. When do we want them? We want them now. We're irritated by the frustration of unfulfilled longings, and in our annoyance, we give up on prayer. Our problem with prayer is that we are weak. We're ignorant, inarticulate, indecisive, imperfect, insolent, impatient, and irritated. Pastor Ray Ortland, he writes this, How are we weak? Well, how aren't we weak? Brokenness, unmet needs, emptiness, confusion, weariness, unbelief, fear, dullness, depression, bewilderment, sin. We can be so overwhelmed by the crushing weight of this existence that we don't even know how to pray. And the very enormity of our struggles silences us. We don't know what to pray for, as Paul says. And we may be paralyzed and helpless in helpless indecision. We may be too distracted to utter a coherent prayer. At all. We are weak. Seven, of I wonder, have you ever felt like that when it comes to prayer? I love that Paul is straightforward and honest. The reason we struggle with prayer is that we are weak. Weak mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And left on our own, we would be paralyzed to pray. But the good news of Romans 8 is that we are not alone. So let's look again at verse 26 and 27. Paul says likewise the spirit helps us. Friends, if you like to write in your Bible, underline that. The spirit helps us for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now When we first looked at verse 26, we jumped over uh, that that phrase, the Spirit helps us so that we could see that we are weak. Because that's what the Spirit is doing, is coming to help us in our weakness. Now this Greek word here, help, the Greek word for help is actually three words combined into a super word. So I'm going to unpack that word for you today. It's pretty cool. So what it does in the Greek, there's a root word. And then when you want to intensify things, you add prefixes. And sometimes you can add multiple prefixes, which is what's going on here. Okay, so it's a, prefi- it's, a, it's a root word with two prefixes, okay? The first word is lambano, and it means to grab hold of something in order to carry it. It means to, to grab hold of something. And the second word attached to it is a prefix that means for the sake of or on behalf of someone. And then the third word attached at the very, very front is this word that means together or with. And so you have this idea of, uh, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you bring them all together, it's this idea of someone coming alongside someone else to bear the burden with them for their sake. It's like um, if someone's trying to carry something really, really heavy and you see them struggling it's not that you, that you come and do it all by yourself. It's that you come alongside them and say, let me give you a hand. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this for you, but I'm also going to do it with you. And together, we're going to be able to carry this thing that you wouldn't be able to do on your own. The only other time this word shows up in the New Testament is when Jesus is with Mary and Martha. Do you remember that scene? He's, he's invited into their home to, to, to have a meal. And Martha begins all the preparations for the meal. Meanwhile, Mary is sitting and listening uh, to Jesus. Now, um, I, I know a lot of times when this is taught, you know, it, like we all say, you know, shame on you, Martha. You, you, you know, but if Martha wasn't working, nobody's eating, okay? And so um, Martha is starting to do all the preparations and she looks around and she's like, where's Mary? No, I was just to do all this, you know, by myself. And so in verse 40, Martha says... Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him. This is Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. That's the word, the same word. Martha felt overwhelmed with all the preparations for dinner, and she wanted Mary to pitch in and bear the burden with her. She didn't say, Mary, you your turn in the kitchen. Let's swap places. She wants her to come and bear the burden with her. Tell her to come help me. It's not take over the work. It's come bear this burden of preparation with me. It's a beautiful picture of what the Spirit does in our prayer life. He comes to help us. He is with us in prayer and he is for us in prayer. But he doesn't take the responsibility of prayer completely out of your hands. He doesn't totally do it on his own, but he comes to our aid, to our help in prayer. He receives the burden alongside of us. Also, if we're going to nerd out, we should keep going. This word for help is in the present tense, okay? Which means it's happening right now, ongoing. Words in the present tense like this have this idea of continuation. It's ongoing. It's not in the past. It's not something that has been done. It's not something that will be done. The Spirit coming to help you in your prayer life is something happening right now. It is a present gift of the ministry of the Spirit. It's also in what's called the indicative mood. You don't need to remember, remember that. But what it means is, see, the Greek has different kind of moods. So if you want to say something that's conditional, there's a, there's a mood for that. If you want to say something that's subjective, there's a, there's a mood for that. This is in the indicative, which is stating a fact. It's objective, not subjective. Meaning, even if you don't feel like the Spirit's there, guess what? He is. It's objective reality. The Spirit is with you in prayer. Now that just encouraged my soul this week. And I know it's kind of nerdy to do a lot of grammar, but the theology there is rich, isn't it? The Spirit is right now, regardless of your weakness, regardless of your awareness, with you in prayer. See, we are weak, but guess what? The Spirit is strong. We are distracted, but the Spirit is present. We are stressed, but the Spirit is steady. That is who comes alongside of you in prayer. When we are overwhelmed and reduced to helplessness, the Spirit is coming alongside you saying, May I help? I am here to help. Now, this shouldn't surprise us in one sense because... The Bible is just, one of the constant themes is that the Lord is our help. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present, what? Help in trouble. Not only that, but Jesus told his disciples on the night in which he was betrayed in that upper room when he was telling them, I'm about to leave. How does he comfort them? He tells them that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, is coming. John 14, 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all I have said to you. John 15, 26, he goes on, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. John 16, 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says, it's better that I go because the helper that's coming is a very present help. You're going to need the ministry of the Spirit. Notice, in all these verses, the helper is a person, not an impersonal force. He doesn't say, listen, when I go... You're going to learn the ways of the force. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're going to have this kind of like power, this Jedi power. I think a lot of times we think of the Holy Spirit more like something out of the Star Wars universe than a person. The Holy Spirit's not a divine energy. He's not an aura. He's not a mantra that can be called upon. The Spirit is a person and he does things that persons do. In these verses I just read, you see the Spirit teaching and reminding. He is sent by God the Father and the Son to bear witness about Christ and to be with us. He is the presence of God. Presence is something only a person can give. We see him helping in these verses, interceding in these verses. We're even going to unpack what it means for the Spirit to groan in a minute. What this is saying is the Spirit has a mind, the Spirit has emotions, and the Spirit does things. That's why the Spirit is a person, not an it. The Bible is emphatic on using personal pronouns to refer to the Spirit. And listen, just another uh, a grammar thing for you. The, the, The word for spirit in the Greek is a neuter word, which means it's supposed to use the pronouns of it, impersonal pronouns. But they are going against the grain of grammar to use a word like spirit and put the word he in front of it. Grammatically, it's incorrect. But theologically, it's correct. See what I'm saying? The spirit is a he, not an it. In other words, if the Holy Spirit were to go to some uh, post-Christian conference in Boston, he would have a name tag that would say, my name is the Holy Spirit. And my preferred pronouns are he, himself, and him. You get that? He is a he, not an it. Now, why is this good news? Because when you pray, you are not conjuring up a force. You know, like incantations depend on like how good you do them in the environment. That's not, that's not what's happening. There's no incantations, no mantras. When you pray, Paul says, you are not alone. Not if you do it right. In fact, the whole, thi- the, whole prob- the whole reason the Spirit's coming is that we don't do it right. Every time you pray, you have the Spirit of the living God coming alongside you and for you to pray with you. You have a helper He is the perfect prayer partner. And what does he do? Paul tells us he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, what does that mean? Well, first, let's look at the word intercede. What does that mean? Well, when you intercede for someone, you are pleading for someone on their behalf, right? You're coming to their aid. You're standing in the gap and speaking for someone when they can't speak for themselves. Or maybe they shouldn't be speaking for themselves. It means that you're representing somebody and you have their best interest in mind. It's it's, it's advocacy. It's what a lawyer does for their client. They're speaking for them on their behalf and they're doing so with their best interest in mind. That's what the Spirit does. He intercedes for us. Now, did you know that you have two intercessors? Did you know that? Here is one of them. The Holy Spirit is one of your intercessors. And coming up in Romans 8.34, spoiler alert, we're going to see that intercession is one of the ministries of Jesus. Paul says, as he's finishing out the chapter, who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died, and more than that, was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed what? Interceding for you. As if this good news couldn't get better. I almost said gooder. As if it couldn't get better. Not only do you have the the Spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit himself interceding for you on your behalf, you also have Jesus Christ advocating for you. My brother and sister, are you starting to see why Romans 8 is called the chapter of chapters? Why many people have said it's the best chapter in the whole Bible. So fear not, Christian. As you stand... On your left side, you have the Holy Spirit. On your right side, you have God the Son. And they are interceding for you, advocating for you. And listen, they have never lost a case. I mean, could you have a more impressive legal team? As you go before the Father, Christ is saying he has the righteousness of Christ, perfect righteousness. And you have the Holy Spirit praying with you and for you. The Spirit speaks for us when we cannot speak. He is praying for us when we cannot pray, and he does so as Paul says with groanings too deep for words. What does that mean? Well, for starters, if you're uh, paying attention as you've read, you would know that this is the third time we've seen this word "groan." Last week, Pastor Kevin unpacked this. In verse 22, we see that creation groans as it's subjected to futility and the entropy of sin. That creation itself, because of sin, is groaning, awaiting redemption. And in verse 23, we see that believers groan as we live in this in-between, in this already not yet. We know of our redemption, but it's not happened fully and completely yet. So in the meantime, we groan. That's the idea of suffering. It it, it elicits this this emotive response from us. The work of redemption has begun, but it is not yet complete. And in that in-between, we often groan, we wrestle, we struggle in a world of brokenness and suffering. And so we groan. Now, when you groan, are those groanings meaningless? Is it senseless? No. No. They're actually incredibly meaningful, and they make complete sense because of this in-between. And it's no different with the Spirit. His groanings aren't meaningless, senseless babble. They are emotive, yes. They are wordless, yes, but they're incredibly meaningful. And so what happens is, in our weakness, the Spirit enters into that groaning with us. He comes to our aid, and when He comes to our aid, this should also encourage you, He doesn't He doesn't stand back at an impersonal uh, kind of distance. He's not like, listen, you need to get your stuff together. I'm going to stand over here. I'm here, but I'm not going to get near you. No, the Spirit enters in. He comes alongside of us. And as we groan, He groans. He is near at the soul level, groaning with us. Paul reminded us that we don't often know what to pray And our prayers are marked by finitude, meaning a limitedness. They're marked by ignorance and imperfection and weakness. But as the Spirit comes alongside of us to pray, He takes our weak prayers and He brings them to the Father in wordless yet incredibly meaningful intercession. And our next verse is actually going to give us some more insight on that. But for now, brother and sister, recognize this. You are not alone when you pray. I know sometimes it can feel like your prayers are just hitting the ceiling. They're not going further. I know it can feel like you're alone. I know it can feel like it's cold. I know it can feel like where is God? But you need to let the truth of this passage inform those feelings. Though it feels like, and I'm not saying those feelings aren't real. What I'm saying is, when that happens, you need to take the truth of this good news and go, God, I know, I feel alone, but I know I'm not alone. I know it feels like my prayers aren't being heard, but I know that they're being heard. I know it feels like I'm not doing this right, and that maybe in my weakness, my prayers aren't, aren't doing what they're supposed to do. But then you say, no, 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 I know the Spirit is praying with me. You See how that works? You take what you're feeling and what you're experiencing and you take truth and you overlay it on top of that. The Spirit of God is with you and for you, helping you as you pray. Friends, we have a problem with prayer and it's that we're weak. But thanks be to God, we have a partner in prayer, the Holy Spirit. He comes to be with us and for us. But that's not all. Let's look at verse 27 to see the provision we have for prayer. Look what he says. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit. Because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So as we unpack this verse, we need to first ask, well, who is the one who searches hearts? Well, that is a reference to God the Father. This is one of the themes of the Old Testament. That God knows Um, Every human heart intimately. Let me give you some examples. In 1 Chronicles 28 verse 9, David tells Solomon, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father. Know him and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. Why? For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. In 2 Chronicles 6, as Solomon is praying to dedicate the temple, what does he say? He's he's praying and he says, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people, Israel, each knowing his own affliction and his own sorrow, stretching out his hands toward the house, then, he's talking to God, hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and render to each, what? Whose heart you know, considering all his ways. For you and you only know the hearts of the children of mankind. Solomon is asking the Lord to respond to their prayers And he does so by saying, you know what's in our hearts. You know us. Psalm 44, verse 20 and 21. The psalmist prays, if we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? Why? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Friends, our hearts are not hidden to the Lord. He is the one who searches and knows our hearts. We can look religious on the outside. We can even learn to pray the right things But God knows if we've abandoned him in our hearts because he knows and searches the secrets of our hearts. So Paul says, God the Father, the one who searches human hearts, he's the one who knows the mind of the Spirit. What he's saying is this. God the Father and God the Spirit know each other perfectly. Perfectly. There's nothing hidden between them. Why? Because there is one God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they are joined together in perfect unison. They know each other. That's why uh, Jesus would say in his, in his prayer in the upper room, I and the Father are one. He's not saying we're the same person. He's saying we, we, we so know each other that we're in total lockstep. We're, the, the members of the Trinity, they're never at odds with each other. They're never going in separate directions. When they when they have a vote, it's always unanimous. There's never like factions and like the spirit and the son going. Let's take that. Let's take the father on. There's never the father going. You guys are all out of line. Just listen. to There's nothing like that going on. They're in perfect unison. They are. They know each other and they are unified in everything they do. They are of one mind, one will, one heart, uh, one mission, and one purpose. This gives us insight into why the Spirit doesn't need to articulate our prayers to the Father. He doesn't need to use words. Why? Because the Father knows the mind of the Spirit. The Spirit's prayer for us is not uttered in words, but communicated in a a way that Paul says is just too deep for words. Meaning, Paul's going, I don't know words to communicate how. The Spirit communicates your prayers to the Father. Paul does not have insight into that inter-Trinitarian life. But he's saying the Spirit who indwells in you is groaning with you and knows what you uh, need, sometimes better than you do, and that is instantly, perfectly translated to God the Father. Because the Father knows the mind of the Spirit intimately and perfectly and directly and instantly and comprehensively. So what happens is the Spirit takes our prayers, weak as they are, imperfect as they are, and what He does is He amplifies them so that they make it all the way to the Father. He purifies them so that they align with the will of the Father. You saw that in verse 27, that our prayers are now according to the will of the Father. So let me just like recap what all that we've covered. So the Father knows the mind of the Spirit... Always, instantly, perfectly. And because the Spirit is indwelling in us and knows us and what we should be praying for, what we long to pray for. He knows what we're praying even when we don't know what to pray. And then the Spirit intercedes for us with prayers that are perfectly aligned with the will of the Father. I remember a Christian one time asking me, what if I pray for the wrong things? And I was able to point back to this and go, you might say the wrong things. You might ask for the wrong things. But you can guarantee that the Spirit will align them with the Father. So before they make it all the way there, they get aligned to the will of the Father. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Christian, no one has ever prayed for you with prayers that are more uh, perfectly and more constantly aligned with the will of the Father than the Holy Spirit. He's the best prayer partner you could ever ask for. This is our provision for prayer. Not only does the Spirit come be our partner, but he, he perfects our prayers. That's the provision we have. He, he, he changes them. And brings them to the Lord in a way that is pleasing to him. See, when it comes to our prayer life, our weakness is on display. Our mental weakness, our physical weakness, our spiritual weakness, our emotional weakness. And he knows that we need help. And so in his grace, God gives us the help we need. The Holy Spirit takes our inability and turns it into efficacy. The reason why prayer works. It's not because we're so awesome at praying. It's because God comes alongside of us as we pray. He takes our weak, unformed, uninformed, unimpressive prayers, and he makes them powerful, effectual, and pleasing to the Lord. Paul David Tripp says, because we don't always understand what God is doing, and we are confused as to what we are supposed to do in response, we don't always know what we should pray for. But rather than uh, uh, critiquing the quality of our prayers, the Holy Spirit carries our messy, confused groanings to the Father, carrying our needs on our behalf that, uh, that we are unable to put into words. In the middle of our sanctification, sometimes we don't know how to pray, but we do not need to be discouraged because in these moments, the Spirit meets us with intervening grace. When you don't know how to pray, listen to this, guys. Pray anyway. Believing that help is near. So two quick applications as we close. First is this. No matter your weakness, pray. Pray anyway. On your own, if we were left to our own, our weakness would hinder our prayers. They would. But because God is gracious, he gives us the help we need. And so there will be times... When it is not only appropriate but necessary to pray like this. You don't have to use these exact words, but I'm trying to give you a framework for how you could pray. You could say something like this. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are praying with me and for me. I don't know what to pray for, what to ask, so I confess my uncertainty. I confess my confusion, and I ask you to pray for me. Share my prayers according to the Father's will. And give me faith to trust you in my weakness. That is a faithful prayer. That's a prayer that's saturated with the truth of Romans eight twenty six. That's a prayer that recognizes our weakness and God's provision. It's weak, but it's faithful. See, our temptation and our weakness is to move towards prayerlessness. It's to say, because I'm weak, I'm just going to give up or abandon prayer but Romans 8 says your weakness is not a hindrance because when you pray you are never praying alone so no matter what your current weakness is whether it's mental weakness or physical weakness or emotional weakness Romans eight twenty six encourages us to pray and second we need to grow in prayer by learning the language of God do you notice how that example prayer I gave was saturated with Romans six, Romans 8, 26, and 27 language. It's a prayer that was birthed out of studying this passage this week. Now, why is that important? Well, when we learn our first language in life, you have no memory of that process. Like, no one looks back and goes, I, I, I remember... Uh, what was going on when I was like two days old and three days old. As all these people were talking to me, I was learning to catalog language. No one one knows that. We learn language. Why? Because language is spoken into us. You notice that when children learn language, they don't have to sit down with a book. Now, they, they do later sit down with a book and they learn more about the language that they're fluent in. But that's growing in language. But they're already fluent in that language. You learn language... Almost automatically, because people speak it into you. It's almost literally like our words get like go down into our brains and are downloaded by those who are speaking to us. There's all kinds of studies that show um, a, a person's vocabulary and intelligence increases with like the actual amount of words that are being spoken to them. We learn language because it's spoken into us, by parents and siblings. Eugene Peterson reminds us that language is spoken into us. We learn language only as we are spoken to. We are, I love this, plunged at birth into a sea of language. Then slowly, syllable by syllable, we acquire the capacity to answer. Mama, Papa, bottle, blanket, yes, no. All speech is answering speech. We are all spoken to before we speak. Now, how does this relate to prayer? Glad you asked. Our prayer, our prayers, and our prayer life should arise out of immersion in the scriptures. Or to borrow Peterson's language, we should plunge ourselves into the sea of God's language, which is given to us in the Bible. Do you want to grow in prayer? Do you want to grow in the language of prayer? Then listen to scripture, read scripture, study God's word, meditate on his promises until there is an answering response in your heart. In the same way that you speak to children and they're plunged into the sea, let the words of God speak into you until there is an answering response. We learn the language of speech by being spoken to and we will learn the language of prayer by being spoken to. To from God's Word. The best prayers I know are the best students of Scripture. It, they're just saturated with Scripture and it just comes out in the prayers. As we close, friends, if I breathed like I prayed, I would be dead. But thankfully, I am not breathing or praying on my own. Though I am weak mentally and physically and emotionally and spiritually, and it does present a real problem for prayer, but because God is gracious and loving, he comes alongside weak prayers like myself. He doesn't leave us in our weakness. He comes to be with us and for us and to pray uh, with us. In the Holy Spirit, we have an intercessor, an advocate who carries our prayers perfectly aligned to the will of the Father. He takes our weak, unformed, and unimpressive, even often unspoken prayers and makes them powerful and effectual and pleasing. So friends, immerse yourself in the scriptures, grow in the language of prayer, and no matter your weakness, pray. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer together.